Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Debo Zarco, episode number 20. Hi there, and welcome to the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. And every single week, I bring to you in-depth interviews with athletes, activists, authors, artists, yogis, and everyday paradigm busters as we journey into the infinite depths of the human heart to remember, through the power of story, who we all are at the core of our beings. And I'm your status quo crushing host, Debo Zarco, welcoming you to yet another awesome week of amazing inspiration. And I'm really excited because we're 20 episodes in already. So this is a pretty impressive milestone, if I do say so myself. So I want to thank you so much for uh, joining me on this, this journey of compassion and inspiration. And I love Love, 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 love getting your emails. I mean, I truly love it because it shows me more and more how many paradigm busting co-creators there are out there making a difference in the world, making it a better place, making it a better place than when we all entered. So you guys rock. You all totally rock. Thank you. Now, I want to start today by sharing a, a recent email exchange that I had with a dear friend, Sylvie Gouin, who's a very wise woman, and um, she's the author of a book, Inspired Living, a guided yoga journal, and she's also the awesome interviewee in podcast episode number two. So if you haven't heard it, go back and have a listen, because this woman is I just feel really blessed to have her as a friend because she's so wise and she's so warm and she's so wonderful and she's got the best smile. Anyway, (laughs) I just love Sylvie. If you can't already tell, the gushing is probably the giveaway. Um, Anyway, Sylvie writes a blog where she shares her, uh, her plethora of yogic wisdom on a regular basis. And last week she wrote a blog titled, I Feel Fat. Now I'm going to read the section that prompted some interesting introspection on my part that I'd like to share with you guys. So she writes, a few years ago, when I first arrived to Sarasota, we went to many garage sales. We love riding our bikes and there's always someone selling something. We meet interesting people, find well-priced tools, and even a couple of artistic gems. The first place I tend to go at garage sales is the book section. And regardless of the value of the house, from 80000 to $8 million, yes, they have garage sales too, I quickly start to notice a book pattern that includes a variation of Zenful Living, some form of Tony Robbins type book where we're told to be big, and then I would see it, the infamous book promising weight loss, often next to the latest ab crunching device. That's very interesting to me because there are areas where we are all confused. Asking ourselves questions like, should I simplify my life or make it bigger? But when it comes to feeling fat, social conditioning seems to have eliminated the confusion and simply left us with the certainty. Fat is not even a feeling. 
and yet it's almost a prerequisite in today's culture to feel alive. And she ends this little post with two powerful questions as follows. My favorite introspective questions regarding this topic are, if I was not busy feeling fat, what would I be feeling? And number two, how does this feeling serve me? Now, what's interesting um, is that it actually wasn't the part about feeling fat that prompted my personal introspection. Instead, it was the question that she mentioned earlier, uh, earlier on in the, in the blog post when she asked, should I simplify my life or make it bigger? Now, first, let me mention, I'm actually a really big Tony Robbins fan. His work really made a significant difference in my life as, um, as I was making my way out of my post Ironman funk a few years ago. That said though, I totally get her question. So I'm going to read the response that, um, that I was inspired to write to her and I'm hoping it's going to have some meaning for you as well. So here's what I wrote. When I embarked on my personal healing journey, I noticed that as I simplified my life and became more intimate with my core essence, my life got bigger. I was no longer satisfied to play small because my inner guidance kept nudging me further. And it still does continually. And I now know that the things that scare me the most are also the things that my soul is yearning to express the most. I suppose it'd be more accurate to say that my life expanded rather than got bigger because I'm no longer trapped in the mental constructs that limit me, nor am I trapped in a toxic culture that conditions each of us to play small and, in turn, squelches our authentic expression. Personally, I connected to love on a much deeper level as well. My intense love for the magnificence of this planet and all of her beautiful living beings expanded beyond the limitations of words, and I also connected deeply to my life purpose. The only way to connect to this place is to creatively express it uniquely, passionately, and lovingly in a way that defies the limitations of the mind. In other words, it means playing bigger by serving something much greater than the puny little self. And it doesn't necessarily mean trying to save the world. It can be finally sharing the musical talent locked in one's heart for years out of fear of judgment. It can be writing the book desperate to be birthed from living through hard times. It can be sharing the gift of incredible culinary talents, walking dogs with love, or opening hearts and minds while teaching a yoga class. When our hearts are invested, it all matters. And when we connect to our purpose and stay on course with laser focus, magic happens. Life gets bigger. And personally, I believe that this is the power of honoring the divine creative expression within each individual heart. What's even more interesting is that as my own life gets bigger, my life also gets simpler. My, need, my needs are extremely basic now. Love, laughter, health, purpose, passion, compassion, and service. And this manifests in ways such as more time in nature than ever before. Connecting to my food in a way that really excites me. So that's learning about wild edible mushrooms, mosses, and other local plants. Upcoming permaculture classes, homemade personal care and cleaning supplies, composting, gardening, creations out of reclaimed wood, and the list just goes on and on. I no longer feel that there is anything to prove. And what a waste of energy that is. Life has slowed down. 
I believe that the busier, and I wrote this in quotation marks, okay? The busier that we are, aka distracted, is directly related to how insignificant and invisible we may feel. When life slows down and simplifies, everything expands, including our perception of ourself, and not in an egotistical way, in a way that just wants to be more, give more, live more, and love more. Anyway, just a few deep thoughts triggered by your words of wisdom today. Thank you as always for sharing your heart with us. So that was my letter to Sylvie. (laughs) So you can see that one little question that she asked about simplify or getting bigger triggered a lot of really interesting thought that I thought would be really pertinent for everyone out there listening because I know that we're all on the same path in our own unique way. So she shared a very wise response with me where she said, I agree with you. There is a difference between a life that is bigger coming from the heart and a life that is bigger coming from the wallet. And a life that is bigger coming from the heart is always simpler. I love those words. A life that is bigger coming from the heart is always simpler. You know, she just summarized everything. I didn't even think about it that way. But when she said that, like when I read that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's exactly it. Bingo. That's it. So what a beautiful way to summarize my, my musings. So my hope is that these words have meaning for you. And when I end each podcast, I remind you to live with passion, live with purpose, and change the world. So how do we change the world? Well, we leave the world a better place than when we entered, simply by living our lives intentionally, lovingly, meaningfully, and authentically. And that all comes from the heart. And when we share our authentic and creative expressions with others, that is how we change the world. It's actually really easy. I mean, really, everything in life is really easy. It's easy. It's only the mind that interferes. And especially when fear sidesteps and your heart takes charge. So now there's another topic that I want to chat about as well that, um, is, is something that's directly related to today's podcast. And before we dive into today's interview, it's, um, it's something that I find is really, really important. It's something that's been on my mind for quite some time. And I've been waiting for the opportune moment to actually speak about it. And this podcast interview is perfect. And the topic we're going to chat about right now, just a little bit before we, we go into the interview is the topic of vegan dogmatic mindsets. And you may be wondering like, what the heck am I talking about? Because I, I really make no bones, no bones. I make no bones about the fact that I'm a vegan. I'm dedicated. I'm passionate. I'm compassionate. I love being vegan. I would love nothing more than to see a vegan world because I know then that we would be living from the love that we truly are. So if you think that's an agenda, then Hey, yes, I have an agenda of compassion. (laughs) There's no money involved in it. It's just compassion. Um, Anyway, I also know that there's a number of vegans and activists listening out there. So I'm specifically addressing dogmatic belief systems. So hear me out on this one. Um, I also know that there are a number of listeners who may be on the receiving end of these limiting worldviews. And I want to chat about that as well. Now, first, I'm just going to back up a little bit. And I want to mention that today's guest is an amazing woman. And she's the reason I'm bringing this sensitive topic up. 
Kathy Stevens is not only the founder of the Catskill Animal Sanctuary in upstate New York. She's one of the most joyful and least judgmental people I have ever, ever had the honor of speaking with. So this is why today is a great day to address the issues of dogma, because we actually talk about it together in the interview today. And this is a mindset that is really important to just eliminate in order, in order to have a significant impact in today's world as well. You know, we need to get rid of that because dogma only perpetuates the rampant separation problem that we have in the world today. And the only way to remedy this is to remedy, is to remember our interconnection with one another. And we do that through empathy and compassion. And it's important to note that I'm not saying that this is easy, but what I am saying is that it's necessary. Okay, so what do I mean when I talk about dogmatic veganism? Well, from my vantage point, well, let's see, okay. From the vantage point of my worldview, it's the angry, uh, judgmental, blaming and shaming that's projected onto non-vegans that comes from someone who's adopted a vegan lifestyle and has conveniently forgotten their own journey of awakening. And this is what gives all vegans a bad name. Now, it even seems weird for me talking about this, vegans and non-vegans. You see, there's a separation right there. We're all people. Really? Let's break it down. We're all people, okay? So you can't be a judgmental, blaming, shaming people hater and expect people to want to join a movement that is supposed to be and is all about compassion. And it's important to note that You know, I truly believe that the best of intentions is at the core of these actions. The problem though, is that the judgmental ego has interfered and as it usually does, it overshadows what's really in the heart. Now you guys have heard me talk about this a lot, but the ego on its own is the greatest offender for separation. On the other hand, when it serves the heart, It's a beautiful implementer for greatness. So even though dogmatic vegans are coming from their heart and they really do want to make a difference, as soon as their culturally imposed belief systems and judgments interfere, they end up creating the very separation that they say they want to eradicate. So we have to remember, every single one of us was indoctrinated into the same hand-me-down, dysfunctional culture with really archaic belief systems. The love and the compassion that we incarnated with, you know, that pure essence that I speak about, that's been taught out of us in so many ways. And we were all taught to disconnect. We were also taught to shut down and separate who and what was worthy of love and who and what wasn't. And this all happens by the tender age of five. And some psychologists psychologists actually say that it happens before that age. So the cultural indoctrination is complete by age five. So we're taught that uh, dogs and cats are worthy of our compassion and love, but we're also taught to disconnect from chickens, pigs, and cows. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we're taught to dislike a certain type of person or judge others based on their economic status or race, but it all comes down to the same thing, separation. And most people rarely examine the source of these 
deeply ingrained belief systems. And, you know, they carry around these five-year-old belief systems inside adult minds. And it's, it's this unconscious cognitive dissonance that's responsible for so many of today's problems. So it's pretty obvious to see why the world is in such a precarious state right now. Now that said, when something snaps us into an awakening and we start seeing the hidden truths of today's world, the first natural response is anger. I mean, think about it. We're getting really pissed off that we've been lied to. And as soon as you're snapped into the first moment of awakening, it's like swallowing the red pill in the matrix. And then you travel down that rabbit hole of truth and you see that the lies are never ending. This often makes us even more angry. Now, I was, I was lucky because I grew up in a family where my mother leaned more towards vegetarianism. And my father, on the other hand, was a really hardcore meat eater. Um, so when I was young, I'd watch my mother pick at her meat in disgust, and it really impacted me. And because of her, at 12 years of age, I made the connection. Flesh on my plate equaled dead animals. I saw it. And like all kids... I always had a deep love for animals and dead flesh on my plate was no longer acceptable. So let's just say there was a, there was a heck of a battle of wills with my father, but he finally capitulated because he knew that his hand-me-down belief systems would no longer have any effect on a strong-willed preteen. And he was pretty strong-willed himself and he passed that on to me and I am grateful for that. So I went vegetarian immediately. And then again, in 1999, I had a second awakening. Cracking open a a free-range egg from a local farm, I noticed a a significant amount of blood in the embryo. And it was at that moment, there was like uh, neurons were firing in my brain at at a really accelerated rate. And I made a second significant connection. I realized that an unfertilized chicken egg is a chicken, period. As a woman, let's just say that really grossed me out. Grossed me out so much that I was eating a period, like gross, that I became vegan on the spot. So this all really woke me up to explore other things. I learned about the, the really horrific cruelty on the, uh, of the dairy industry. And like most people, it didn't even occur to me how milk was produced. I mean, we don't even think about it. We're not taught to. But when I found out that the only way for any female mammal to produce breast milk is through pregnancy, I was shocked into yet another awakening. So you can see I'm going further down the rabbit hole. Even though I was already vegan by then, the dairy industry totally infuriated me. I had no idea that female cows were continually artificially inseminated in order to lactate. I had no clue because... Like I said, you know, this is a truth that is conveniently hidden from all of us. If we knew the truth, we wouldn't participate, especially if we knew the truth early on. So it's really obvious though. Like once we're told, it's like, duh, of course. I mean, it makes no sense that cows just randomly produce milk for human consumption. Of course, they're lactating for the baby that's growing inside of their bodies. I mean, that milk is made for the babies. 
It's no different than human mothers. We're no different. We're all mammals. And this just shows another really profound example of serious cognitive dissonance. So then I had to find out what happened to the babies. There I'm going, further down the rabbit hole. And I found out that boy cows are removed at birth for the veal industry, which meant that the veal industry only exists as a byproduct of the dairy industry. And baby girl, baby girl cows, like their moms, would be turned into milking machines. And then when milk production drops after a few really exhausting years, and like really, can you imagine how exhausting nonstop pregnancy would be? Um, the cows would be considered spent. That's the industry term. And they would be slaughtered for hamburger. So once we learn about one truth that kicks the mind into gear to want to learn more. And when we learn about these horrific atrocities, that's when our essential compassion that's been dormant for so long kicks in once again. And this is the compassion that we were born with before uh, this culture separated it out of us. And we no longer want to be a part of this cruel system that's built on the shaky foundation of lies. So this makes for a lot of anger. And I'm saying all of this because I just want to let you know that I get it, okay? Like I get where the anger comes from. So we feel angry at our parents for hiding these truths. We're angry at a society that feeds the lies. And we often get angry at the indifference of the masses who keep swallowing the blue pills of illusion and ignorance in order to just keep the the lying machine running. Now think about it. Nobody likes being lied to. And it doesn't matter if it's an ailing culture that lies to you or, you know, your partner or your friend. It just all feels really crappy. And the first response to lying is often anger. And, you know, when responding to a lie that's as big, as destructive, as cruel and violent as the meat and dairy industries are, it's easy to become absolutely enraged. And all you want to do is wake everyone else up to these truths. And there's, you know, there's a sense of desperate urgency about it, which I've learned from my own personal experience just turns people off. And this then leads to the projection of anger and judgment towards everyone not willing to listen. And this is how the dogmatic vegan evolves. I know a number of dogmatic vegans and they make me feel really uncomfortable. But like I said, I get it because I've been there. I was once a dogmatic vegan myself. And I'd be lying to say, lying to you if I said that sometimes I can still catch myself slipping into that place of judgment. But the difference now is that I have the tools to catch myself before I act on that judgment. And that's because I've done a lot of deep inner healing work. And, you know, also because today's, today's rampant separation culture just repulses me. And think about it. Do you enjoy having someone impose their belief systems on you? Now, if you answered no, then you can probably see how ineffective this form of activism is on others. And, you know, really, it actually has the completely opposite effect in most cases. Um, and it makes people just dig their heels in even more. Quite frankly, I know that I do when someone tries to tell me what to do. 
It really, really bugs me. Actually, it just downright irritates me. And I doubt that there are many people who would feel otherwise. So it's really important for every one of us to remember that we have our own unique and individual life journey. And that I say that just as much for myself to remember as for everyone else. And because we were all infected with the same cultural belief systems, we all have our own personal rate of awakening or not. You know, it's not always a guarantee because that's just the way it is for some people. So all we can do is exemplify who we have, who we become as a result of making more compassionate life choices. And this means outwardly projecting the love and compassion that comes with these mindful life choices rather than projecting the unhealed anger and blame that comes from knowing the ugly truths which are so skillfully hidden from the masses. So it doesn't mean suppressing the anger. Instead, it means expressing it mindfully, you know, like in the privacy of your home, for example, rather than projecting it onto an innocent bystander bystander who's just going to label you as another radical vegan asshole. So remember, there was a time in your life that you were once that innocent bystander. So in my own life, the journey to vegetarianism took me 12 years. And the journey towards veganism took me an additional 24 years. So you can clearly see that waking up can take a long time. And when I actually, when I healed my own grief and anger, it made me a much more effective activist because it reminded me that every single one of us is a wounded soul doing our best to navigate a culture gone wrong. And when we come to our activism and just move through life with that kind of empathy, you know, what I've come to realize, at least for myself, is that I'm now able to just see the light in pretty well everyone. I'm still working on it, but I tell you, it's, it's been a real blessing to get to this point in my life. And actually, well, just wait until you hear what today's guest has to say about all of this. So it really comes down to the fact that there's no reason for veganism to be dogmatic. What's interesting is that some of the harshest judgment that I've received personally comes from fellow vegans who are still trapped in their anger. And because I'm no longer trapped in mine, they project theirs onto me. And I'm at a point where I am no longer willing to take sides. I won't side with their despair, their rage, their judgment, because those are the parts of me that, you know, I'm continually working on to heal. And so much has already been healed, you know, because for me, it's really, really important to be the best version of myself possible, not only for, um, for everybody else, but also for me. And I'm hoping that, you know, every single one of you, uh, is aspiring to be that as well. So to any vegans out there listening who can relate to what I'm saying about feeling the anger and judgment that's just eating away at you, first of all, I applaud you for your courage to even just admit this to yourself. And secondly, 
(laughs) My unsolicited advice would be to just sort out your stuff. And I mean, get to the real bottom of it. Get to the real source of the judgment that you're projecting. Because I can guarantee that there's always more underneath judgment that's far more connected to the unhealed parts of who you are. And when you sort that out, I guarantee that your activism is going to soar to new heights. And then you actually really do make a really, really, really big difference. So rather than causing a bigger divide, it's so much easier to unite with others because you just have tapped into that ability to empathize. Now that doesn't mean that you're exempt from the anger and frustration that um, still may emerge when you're speaking with people who absolutely refuse to see anything but their worldview. And you know, usually those people are pretty arrogant. But what it does mean is that you can now access the inner wisdom and the resources necessary to, to necessary to prevent you from needlessly projecting any negativity towards others. And often, there's actually nothing more powerful than silence. So somebody's being confrontational, you don't say anything, Woo, give it a try one day. So bottom line is, I just want you to know, I get it. I get both sides. I know where the judgment comes from. And I also know what the judgment feels like on the receiving end. And you know, quite honestly, if I wasn't already a long time dedicated vegan, I'd just dig my heels in as well. Because judgment really hurts. You know, it sucks. And this applies to all judgment, not just from vegans and non-vegans. This is across the board judgment. It's hurtful. So what it really boils down to is that people want kindness and compassion every bit as much as animals do. And if we impose our unhealed anger and judgment on others because we may have forgotten our own journey of awakening, then guess what? We fail the animals, we fail the planet, we fail humanity, and we fail ourselves. So change 100% of the time always, always, always begins with ourselves. Now, there's a really cool uh, vegan graphic designer on Vancouver Island that I, uh, I'm going to get him on the podcast at some point, probably later this summer. And he's got a really, um, he's got a big following and a real no-nonsense approach to life. And his name is Paul Jarvis. And he simply states that vegan is love, baby. And that's really all it is. Vegan is love, baby. So if you break it down to its simple basics, all it is, is love. Love for animals, mother nature, humanity, and ourselves. So here's the deal. Like when we involve the human mind, suddenly vegan becomes something political, dogmatic, and threatening. But veganism is beautiful. The human mind can really suck and that's what destroys so many beautiful things. So I'm going to say it again. As soon as unhealed anger enters the equation, vegans can often become dogmatic, just like in any other movement or really anywhere in life. Okay? Anytime anger is projected, you become dogmatic. But veganism itself is love. And, you know, vegans, because we're people too, 
when, you know, when, when vegans are out there projecting their unhealed crappy baggage into the world, they create the very separation that they're trying to eliminate. All right. So, but when, when veganism is expressed in a way where personal baggage doesn't taint it, it really is a deeply spiritual connection to our deepest core essence of compassion for all living beings. When we remember the love that drove us to embrace veganism in the first place, our activism unites us all because it comes from our purest truth. Love, baby. (laughs) So this brings up the Gandhi quote that I state quite frequently on this show about being the change that you wish to see in the world. So think about it. If you want to see a more compassionate and loving world, guess what? You have to be that. And then it's not good enough to just be it. You have to get out there and do it as well. All right. And it's not easy to do always, but you know, do your best. It means, it means, uh, you know, being it as often as possible. So this really, the, the, the bottom line here is that this is a compassionate movement that needs all of you. I mean, all of you. So all the fragmented bits, heal them, bring them back together and be the change that you wish to see in the world. Okay. The true you, the healed you, the authentic you and the loving you. So here we go. I'm going to spew it again. Vegans, if you want a more loving and compassionate world, you have to be that first and then do it. Show people how amazing veganism is because it is. Show how it reconnects you to your love, your essence, and makes you feel more congruent with the truth in your soul. And I personally believe that that applies to every single one of us. And don't forget that you had a journey. So remember that journey to awakening and empathize with others who are where you once were as well. And then light the path so that they can see their way out of the darkness of cultural conditioning. And I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. Nobody wants to join a movement that's angry and judgmental. Veganism is love. So light the way with love because this is the truth of its creation. It's really simple. Just like everything in life. It's really simple. So don't complicate it. Now, I know that I might get a lot of flack for saying all this stuff. And if I do, I know that it's because I've touched on something inside that doesn't want to be touched on. That's usually the case. So the mind might just kick up a fuss with its defensive posturing. So if you're one of those people who's noticing a flare up, I just invite you to question the flare up and then invite an answer that gets to the core of the flare up. Because in your heart, you already know that you have no limits to your compassion, but the flare up means that a hidden truth has been touched on and needs to be uncovered. Really truth needs no defense. So whenever you feel the need to defend yourself, it means that someone has touched a place within you. That's not congruent with your authentic self. So have the courage to explore that because the world needs you to show up as fully and completely as possible. And we all know every single one of us that we can do better, be better, live better and love better. We know that deep down. So don't let those mental constructs and defensive reactions get in your way because this planet is in desperate need for you to show up fully, completely and lovingly all the way, baby. (laughs) So remember, this is why you embrace the path to compassion in the first place, 
So be the best version of yourself that you can be and, you know, let your light shine like a beacon so everyone can see it and, you know, they can, they can experience it as well. So this is actually a really, really great place for me to segue into today's guest introduction. So today we speak with Kathy Stevens, who's the author of Where the Blind Horse Sings, An Animal Camp, Lessons in Love and Hope from Rescued Farm Animals. She's also the founder of the Catskill Animal Sanctuary in the beautiful Catskill Mountains of Saugerties, New York. And she is one of the most incredible people I've had the honor of speaking with. I know I say that a lot. I meet a lot of really great people. Wow. It's just like, oh, there's so many amazing people out there. Anyway, I first learned about Kathy and her massive heart at last year's Toronto Vegetarian Fair, where I heard her speak on a panel uh, with Jenny Brown and Jean Bauer, amongst other people. And although I didn't get to formally meet her during this trip, I was absolutely blown away by her passion, her compassion, and her fearless expression of pure love for, well, for everyone, actually. So she, she actually touched my heart very deeply and I knew, I knew that she would be an important part of this project. And while she was in Toronto, before she departed for New York, once again, um, she actually stayed behind, uh, to participate in a Toronto cow save vigil. Now, in case you haven't heard of Toronto cow save, uh, this is an absolutely amazing grassroots group of dedicated activists who hold weekly vigils outside of Toronto chicken, pig, and cow slaughterhouses. Yuck. Um, if you haven't yet heard my interview with Toronto pig, cow, and chicken save founder, Anita Krantz, you can check it out in iTunes or on my website at devilsarco.com, and it's episode number four. Very inspiring. And... Uh, they're using a really different approach to advocacy, which is purely love-based rather than shame-based. And it's working. And Kathy's effect on the group, uh, as well as on the slaughter workers, was absolutely profound. And, you know, I, I'm actually going to read a portion of a beautifully written article in uh, Leica magazine titled, Leading with Love, an Approach to Advocacy. And this article truly captures her essence much better than I ever could. So here it starts with diversity of tactics is a prominent expression in social justice activism. There's no singular solution yet. And there is no handbook on the most effective strategy for creating change. A wide range of approaches is essential, but what if the common denominator in the multitude of methods is love? It may seem radical at first, or perhaps too idyllic, but what if? What if a perceived enemy is an ally yet to be made? What if a closed mind is just a mind that hasn't been opened yet? What if we view those we cross path with, paths with as fully capable of kindness and goodness? And what if instead of condemning, we take a chance and forge a connection? On the afternoon of September 10th, 2013 in Toronto, Canada, Kathy Stevens, founder of Catskill Animal Sanctuary, did just that when she approached a group of locked out slaughterhouse workers at St. Helens Meatpackers plant uh, during a cow save vigil. 
She pretended to be a cow and nudged Robert Belak, the owner of St. Helen Meatpackers, and put her head on his shoulder, Anita Krantz, founder of Toronto Pig Save, recalled to us. Kathy invited him to come to her sanctuary and partake in cow kisses. Now, how cool is that? Moments later, as a truck crammed with cows rolled up to the slaughterhouse, she reached up and kissed a cow on the nose, right in front of the workers. The first time in two years of vigils that anyone had done this, according to Anita. Kathy really raised the bar for our vigils and bearing witness. Days later, when we prepared vegan BLTs for the workers, they talked of Kathy's kindness to them. And we talked further about animal emotions, said Anita. She explained that Toronto Pig Save also uses a love-based approach and have, um, and have not only interacted with the workers, but have previously brought them vegan sandwiches. At first, few took. Now they're used to our kind foods, says Anita. The labor negotiator for the union didn't take one, but he will eventually. Kathy received a phone call from Amos, one of the workers she connected with and gave her book Animal Camp to. He called to tell her he'd been reading it. Catskill Animal Sanctuaries and Kathy Stevens' approach to activism is multifaceted. And one that, in addition to rescuing animals and offering them a safe haven, includes a vegan cooking program, compassionate cuisine, and a vegan children's summer camp, Camp Kindness. And this diverse, benevolent approach rooted in love is yielding tangible results. There are so very many stories of transformation. Imagine the domino effect of compassion getting into the hearts of people without whose participation the slaughterhouse institution would cease churning. What if? Now, the article goes on, but those are the, uh, uh, the moments that really, really capture her essence. And, you know, really, I certainly couldn't have summarized Kathy's essence better than this. And I am so grateful to now have her as part of my life. And I just want to say that with each interview, I find myself inspired more and more to become a better version of myself. And Kathy raised the bar not only for the activists at the animal vigils in Toronto, She's also raised the bar for me to remember that deep down, we are all the same. Across all illusory species, gender, and race barriers, we all want love. We all are love. End of story. So be prepared to be deeply inspired by the amazing Kathy Stevens. Well, first of all, I just want to really thank you for your time because it means a lot to me that you're here with us, sharing your wisdom, sharing your compassion and sharing your joy as well, because you exude a lot of that. And I got to see that in Toronto. So thank you. Well, I am delighted. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. And I know that you're also a very, very busy woman. You've got so much going on because you're an aspiring um, you're an inspiring author, you're a passionate speaker, and you're also a really dedicated voice for farm animals in a movement towards a more inclusive and compassionate vegan lifestyle. And you've been doing this for a long time. Um, but what I really noticed when I had the pleasure of, of attending the uh, factories to 
Sanctuary's panel at the Toronto Vegetarian Fair this year was just how your your passion and your compassion just shines through like a beacon. And, and I was really moved by the depth of emotion that you showed for animals. And it's not often that you see people who are so um, open to exposing their own vulnerability. So I, I was like, it resonated with me so much. So again, I want to send you just another shout out and another thank you. Um, but what I'd love is if you could take a step back in time and share your personal journey and the defining moments that connected you to this passionate life purpose as a voice for the voiceless and a champion for compassion. Um, I had grown up as a child in Virginia on a horse farm, um, where my dad raised and bred thoroughbreds for the track. And we also had on this farm a number of other animals. We had a donkey named Linda, and we had goats that I used to sneak into the house, and we had a couple of cows. And so I feel like I came out of the womb loving animals. I don't know how better to say it. Um... I've also, even though, uh, interestingly, I'm not a parent, I've also always loved children and teaching and learning and the idea of drawing out the best in young people. So when I I, I majored in English, um, moved to Boston for graduate school and decided to... um, become an English teacher, and that's what I did for about 12 years. And when I was offered the job as a principal of a new high school, having been sort of a teacher and also a teacher of teachers, leading writing workshops, et cetera, um, I turned it down, much to my own shock. I turned down this job that I imagined would be my next logical step. Because once I did go to graduate school, I thought this is, this was going to be my path, trying to, trying to improve the world through empowering young people, 17 and 18 year olds. I had high school juniors and seniors, um, to be not only to be, um, more articulate, speakers, more effective writers, more critical thinkers, but also braver and kinder people. And very clear that that was my purpose in the classroom. And so when this opportunity was presented and I turned it down, there was part of me that said, what are you doing? (laughs) What? You just turned down this job of a lifetime? But the other part of me realized it was not the right kind of school. It was a media and technology school. It wasn't a social justice school or a school for the humanities. So I I walked away from this opportunity, and then I thought, oh, my God, I really have no idea what I want to do for the next 30 years. So I took uh, lots of long walks with my great dog and I did some writing. I'd never taken time off as an adult. And um, even in the summers, I would teach workshops and things. So, and what came to me over a few months 
was that was clarity about my two passions. I loved animals, and I saw in them more than I think um, most of us see. And I love teaching and learning. So I just started sort of noodling about how to combine those two passions into one entity. And what eventually came to me was the idea of a teaching sanctuary. And it really, really felt right. And while I had no idea how it would come about, I knew that it would come about. Um, from that moment when the idea gelled, and that was in 2001. And here you go, 13 years later. Um, and 13 years later, we have Catskill Animal Sanctuary has saved through direct rescue well over 3,000 animals, and of course, exponentially more through sort of our signature programs that that encourage people on the vegan path. Um, I've written books. I speak all over the country. Uh, you know, it's just, it will prove to be really a, a, a good choice. Wow, that's a beautiful story. And what I really love about it is that you really followed your heart. You really followed that. You connected with that spiritual place, that deep spiritual place inside of you. You connected to it. You didn't know what was going to happen, but you trusted it anyways. And look at what you've created. I mean, you've created something really beautiful. And um, and on that note, just before uh, I started recording, we were chatting about a talk that you did recently where you spoke to people who were on the spiritual path and who had no clue about what was going on. And this is the thing that I find personally, I find really surprising as well being, you know, I have my own spiritual practice and my own spiritual path. And I know that there's so many others out there. The ones that I connect with seem to have a disconnect with the animals. And I'm just wondering, how do you feel that we can, what do you feel must happen to bridge this gap so that people connect to um, that spiritual place inside of them that is inclusive of all living beings? Oh boy, what a question. I mean, I think um, America is the worst model in taking us the farthest distance possible from that place where we are sort of connected to all life. Um, I don't know what has to happen. I mean, I feel like it's interesting because there's a you know, a struggle between darkness and light where you've got um, you've got huge corporations and all their very powerful lobbyists and governmental friends pushing, 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 being driven by greed and and willing to sacrifice this planet with decisions that they make, right? The air doesn't matter. The water doesn't matter. The soil doesn't matter. People's health doesn't matter. Animals don't matter as long as our bottom line is our, as long as our stock prices 
are high, right? And yet, on the other hand, I mean, fracking, hydrofracking, that to me, when I first learned that we were going to split open the earth to extract natural gas, rather than talking about ways to conserve energy, mm. I it blew my mind. Like that level of, it felt like rape to me, and I'm sorry to say that, but it felt, hydrofracking feels like raping of the earth. And to go, you know, so headlong toward these, um, these practices that, you know, profit a few and then cause, cause horrifying consequences for the little guy, whether the little guy is the earth or the animals or people, is what we do. And yet, there's also um, a growing awareness, whether it's you know, there's certainly more yogis in the world in America than there were. Yogis aren't just weird hippies anymore. You know, yogi yoga studios are, are popping up all over the place. There are probably 50 in our relatively small community up here. I bet you there are more than that. And um, um, similarly, um, whether it's whether it's because people are understanding that a meat and dairy-based diet is either making them fat or killing them, whether it's whether it comes from a health perspective or it comes from some people being scared out of their minds about what's happening with global warming. I think one thing that Hurricanes Irene, Sandy, and Lee in the U.S. did was wake people up to the realities of global warming. Or, thirdly, whether um, we, you know, people are more aware, because we are, we're much more aware of how, what we're doing to the animals, the fact is that veganism is growing. So, this is a very long answer to your very good question about how we awaken people to that spiritual place that's in all of us and the only thing I can offer to those who wish the world to be a different place is to stay true to that part of yourself and to go out into the world every day wishing for that world and offering whatever you can to whomever you encounter. It sounds like you've actually um, beautifully, in your own words, quoted Gandhi. You know, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. And really, I think that's 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 what it boils down to. And your answer is just so eloquent, and it really um, exemplifies his words as well. Um, and you know, and there's a really uh, there's a really strong consciousness movement out there today and it sounds like you know it sounds like the there's a big uh polarization in consciousness where you talk about the dark entities the corporations and people doing the fracking and all the other stuff that they're doing out there right now and then there's this 
Um, then there's the people who seem to be embracing a higher level of consciousness where they're tapping into their own compassion and they're, you know, they're at least starting to examine their choices around animal foods. And I call this more of an inclusive consciousness. Um, and that's something that you really exemplify. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to kind of switch gears a little bit right now, because on that note, um, it's reminding me of the, uh, the time that you spent with Toronto pig safe at the vigils that you were, um, that you were at when you were there and how, I know that that was really moving for you and it really, uh, it, it changed Toronto pig save as well. Like they've really embraced a, a different model, but you not only were you, uh, showing like, I mean, there's some beautiful photos of you showing incredible compassion towards cows and pigs, but also towards shutout slaughterhouse workers. This is what I call inclusive consciousness. I mean, you did not Nobody was negated in your world. And I just like, how do you stay connected to that place inside of you that excludes no one? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I grew up in a very racist family and it gave me great pain and I was always bumping up against my very strong-willed dad. Um, and really, like, you know, the culture in which I grew up in the 60s and 70s. It was Virginia, where the part of Virginia where I was, was a pretty racist place. And yet, I, it's always been... I don't know why I've never examined this. I, I feel lucky that I always see, feel the essence of someone, whether that person is man, woman, black, white, religious, atheist, gay, straight, old, young. I, I feel who they are. And the same is true with animals and I feel uh, that there is love and purity and a um, desire, I mean this is an obvious thing, but a desire to move toward joy and away from suffering that every being has that negates these differences that are of the most superficial kind. Hmm. I don't care if you are gay. I don't care if you are Catholic. I don't care if you are skinny. I don't care if you have curly brown hair. Like what? And similarly, similarly, I don't care if you say oink. I I see beings for who they are and embrace that, and and have always believed, but especially now that I've been living among these animals, that the differences 
between pigs and dogs and elephants and fish and humans are about as meaningful as the difference between old and young, black and white, um, secular and religious, etc. They are of the most superficial order and have nothing to do with what's inside. Oh, I wish we were talking face to face right now. I really would just, I would like totally hug you so hard right now. <laughs> that is such a beautiful answer. And that is, that is what we're missing in the world is that essence. We, like you can see it. You can see beyond, I don't know, those egoic walls that people put up to, to separate themselves from the essence, but you can see it below the surface. And, and feel, that, it. feel it, feel it, yeah. you can feel it below the surface. And that really, that really showed in those images that, um, that Toronto pig safe put up on their, their Facebook wall. And, um, I'd really love if you could share your experience with those workers. I mean, you were, you were sitting down with those those slaughterhouse workers, and you guys, there's pictures of you smiling. I mean, you bridged the gap there so beautifully, and you connected. And I would love if you could share the experience of coming together. They're just people, and they, you know, people doing the job they hate um, in order to eat low-skilled people who... way more than likely would like to be doing something else if they had the skill or the opportunity or the education or the motivation or the confidence or the fill in the blank mm. to do so. So how dare I, who has been vegan way less than half my life, right, judge them because they're not where I am today. I don't understand vegans. Here are the people I have a hard time with. I have a hard time with vegans who, because they're vegan, suddenly get angry at everybody else in the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, hello? Hello? You've been vegan a day, a year, five years. It took you 10 years, however long. It took you steps to get there. So it is so counterproductive for vegans to be angry or judgmental. And I don't, I don't really know what to say about that experience, except that I was surprised that people were so stunned by my sitting down with with them. And I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I have always seen what unites, no matter, rather than what divides, no matter people's fill in the blank, race, educational level, whatever. So I saw alienated people shut out of a job. And, and why wouldn't I? have a conversation with them. What an opportunity that is. Like, what an opportunity. 
I gave them all copies of my book. A couple of them called me to thank me. Um, one guy, interestingly, a guy named Amos, and I told him I had a dear cow friend named Amos, um, told me he was vegetarian. Wow. And I said, I took his hand and I, and I said, I just held his hand and I said, why are you doing this? He said, I have three kids and nothing else pays like this. Wow. Not simple. Don't, don't demonize those people. That would be a mistake. I think, you know, we live in a paradigm where judgment is so rampant and, you know, when you, when you talk about vegans or what, you know, like you say, fill in the blank, it doesn't necessarily have to be vegans who judge. I know for myself, I was, I was once a meat eater. I was once a vegan who judged. And we all go through these phases in life where we move, hopefully through, yeah, we, we, we move through these phases and into, um, you know, a higher place. Every single time we move through one of these phases, we move into a higher place. And I'm so, so thrilled about the fact that you are so non-judgmental and you, again, you exemplify, be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I know that you made a huge impact, not only on those slaughterhouse workers that were shut out, but also on the activists who represent Toronto Pig Save, because they, their model has been adapted because of you. And now it's even more, it's gone into a deeper love-based approach. And, uh, and I, I, I thank you. I thank you for, for, not being afraid to show your essence, not being afraid to connect and live from that and to bring that out in other people. And that's why I've got you on this interview because you really, really, you define essence. But on that note, um, you know, we do live in a world that can be very dark. And I'm just wondering if you ever feel the despair and the frustration and the anger over the state of the world. And if you do, how do you bring yourself back to that place of pure love inside of you? I do not often feel despair. Uh, and it's not something I work at. I have always been joyful. Um, when I feel despair, uh, for instance, after I've seen a particularly difficult video, I just very quickly move back to a place of joy, and I think it's partly because I can't function in an unhappy state. I can't, I don't like feeling unhappy. Um, I'm not as effective in the world when I'm unhappy. And I'm certainly not serving the animals as effectively when I'm unhappy. So whatever, I, I don't really know. And Deb, it's, People ask me this a lot, like why I'm not angry or why, and I don't, I'm just not, I don't really, I can't really 
say a whole lot about it. I'm grateful that I don't hold anger or despair and that I, you know what I think I think here's what I would have to a wager of guess I process emotion very fully I I but it, it's like it moves through me really quickly so when I feel sad about something I feel really sad but it moves through me fast and then I go very quickly right back to that natural state and that's all I can say about that yeah and I think that you probably hit the nail on the head because we live in a society that's numbed itself I mean we numb ourselves from anything that's uncomfortable and and that's by not not only just by turning a blind eye it's like oh you know because there's a lot of people who don't want to face the truth because it's too painful but you know we numb ourselves with pharmaceuticals alcohol. I don't know. There's just so many addictions out there in the world that shows that we've disconnected from that place of feeling. So it makes perfect sense. What you say though, is that you allow yourself to feel the depth of the feeling and you allow it to move through you that that helps you connect to that place. So thank you for sharing that because it's, it's a really good reminder for all of us that we have that capacity, um, to feel. And when we do, Oh God, I can't imagine doing the opposite. Woo! Like trying not to feel things, I I can't. That would be horrible. <laughs> I totally <Horrible>. agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so on that topic, um, it's really really apparent that you you know you just you live from that beautiful um, heart space. Your your heart is wide open. I saw it. I yes, felt it, it in Toronto, and I can feel it right now right through this little, you know, digital connection all the way across the country. <laughs> I can feel it. So I'd love if you could share with everybody what a heart-centered life looks like and feels like for you. Because I think for everybody, there's, it's, it's very individual. But there are also certain things about living a heart-based life that we can all relate to as well. Wow. You're inspiring me with these questions. I, well, these are wonderful questions. I have never been asked this. Um, I think that I, wow. (laughs) I have a love for every living thing, whether it's a flower or a tree or a river. And I talk to nature and I do things that I think some people might find. Well, I know a lot of people would find odd, but, um, you know, I, living from that place means like going in with the pigs and lying down in the straw with them. And it means thanking the world for the beautiful sunset on a given day. It just means being conscious for me of life, things that are alive more than stuff 
Mm. I would say I pay a lot of attention to living things, and I don't pay so much attention to my stuff, um, which can be an issue, but um, <laughs> I don't know, Deb. I've never been asked that, but that's what comes to mind when and you do ask. And it's flowing out beautifully. It's flowing out beautifully. <laughs> Okay, we're going to flow right into the next question that's kind of on the same lines. It's it's all about being in that heart space and you it's really obvious that you you exude a lot of hope in today's world and that's I think why people are just so drawn to you. And I'd love if you could share what is it that gives you hope in today's world? Oh my goodness. Everything. Children spring flowers like you know the world the world hasn't sneezed us off like a bad idea like it should have <laughs> like the world is so the earth is so patient with us um you know what like every time somebody reads my book or and says i get it i'm going vegan i mean that gives me hope and so many things when when people say, you know, hundreds of people every season who visit or read the book or come to a talk and write back and say, thank you, I understand, I get it, I'm not eating animals anymore. And that happens with people who work at sanctuary, that ha- sanctuaries, that happens all the time. And that gives me and should give everyone tremendous hope. So that's, you know, that's some of it. Sunrise gives me hope. I love mornings. <laughs> uh, the world is a pretty amazing place. Wow, you just exude joy. It's so beautiful, Kathy. <laughs> well, but I mean, come on, good grief. You know, all this doom and gloom and the world was supposed to blow up in 2012. Well, it didn't. You know, we keep we keep poisoning her and disrespecting her and she keeps tolerating this abuse um and so that you know the beauty of this planet which is such a gift for all of us gives me and the fact that she is hanging in there to give us one more chance one more chance one more chance i feel like we have a very kind benevolent uh, planet that allows us to continually screw up. So, yeah, I mean, there's, yes, there is despair and sadness, but um, we need to see the hope and see the beauty and make decisions that will create more hope and more beauty because Deb here's here's my bottom line I say this sometimes in my talks if you are a human being you are the most gifted being alive if you are a white western middle class person 
who's had the opportunity, who's who's been raised with love, and who's had the opportunity to get an education. Education, shut up. Don't complain. You could have been a rock. You could have been algae. You could have been one of those pigs on that truck. Mm-hmm. You could have been blessed with the most precious gift there is. So use it. Be grateful for it. Be conscious that you've been given it and use it. That's my soapbox. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling inspired. <laughs> oh, but it's true. Totally true. I mean, you could have been a frog. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. It is totally true. <laughs> okay. I know. Okay. I have one. Maybe the complainers, maybe the complainers next time around will be a pig. <laughs> oh, God. Well, maybe by then there's we'll have... I don't know, woken up or something so that it won't be a bad thing to be a pig or it won't be a sad thing to be a pig. That would be nice. Yeah, that's, well, you know, I, I hold out hope. I, I believe, Kathy, you know what, in my heart, I really believe that we're going to see the end of this madness in our respective lifetimes. I really, really do. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now. I have never heard anybody, there you go, sister, I've never heard anybody but me say that, but I believe it too. I do. This country, this the United States is passing gay marriage in state after state after state after state after state with very little discussion about it. We never, I wouldn't have thought that possible five years ago, and to elect an African-American president? We are capable of tremendous change, so I agree, and I think history would show that Western countries bump along toward becoming more inclusive and more kind. So I agree with you, and I'm happy to hear you say that. Oh, I'm so thrilled. You know, I interviewed um, an amazing woman uh, earlier this week, uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard. She's a leader in the consciousness movement. And, or sorry, that was last week. And she said something, like she's another one, like you, she just holds out so much hope. And she says, breakdown always precedes breakthrough. So she says that a lot of these, and that really struck me. And I, I, all of this, yeah, all of a sudden I thought all of this crap that's going on is something to be celebrated. Because there's going to be amazing stuff on the other side. And I can feel it. I can feel it. I can't explain it, but I can feel it. Wow. That's very, thank you for sharing that. I'm not a historian, so I don't know that I would necessarily know that. But that feels uh, right to me. And it feels like something to consider. And that I like I like that. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Well, listen, I'm not going to take up too much of your time. I have one more question that I'm really, really, I love asking this question to everybody, but I'm particularly excited to ask you. So this is where you're going to tap into your heart space, your imagination, and you're going to get to go wild. So I'm going to hand you a magic wand and I'm going to let you do whatever you want with it because it's yours. And you get to wave it over the planet and you get to create any kind of world. 
And I would love if you could share what kind of world you would create with this beautiful magic wand. It's pretty simple. It's a world in which all beings, no matter their species, no matter their geography, no matter no matter what, where all species live in harmony. And that's it. That's the world. It's that simple. Wow. Kathy Stevens, you are a beautiful human being. (sighs) Thank you for being who you are, for doing what you do, for sharing your gift of heart and compassion and essence with the world. And with me on this interview today and, and for the book, I'm just so honored. I'm deeply honored. Well, I'm honored to be here with you, Deb, and thank you for all that you're doing to work toward that world that you want to see as well. And um, I look forward to, I hope, working together into in the future. Yeah. And you know what? This world that you and I both believe in, it's going to happen. I, I, I believe that when we, when we have that much feeling towards something, that there's truth in that feeling whether we can rationalize it or not, it's, it's going to happen. Oh, and I also believe in the power of belief. Yes. Absolutely. So keep, keep on believing <laughs> in, that, in that beautiful world. Wow, what a beautiful person. And I know that I said it in my intro and I'm going to say it again. I am so grateful to have Kathy Stevens in my life, and I hope that you are now too. And we spoke about so many things today, um, but there was a common theme, and that was love. So coming up with the powerful question this week was a bit of a challenge because, you know, like love is so big and it's just so beautiful. But, you know, there were ample opportunities to quote Gandhi in this interview, and I've decided to throw out a biggie this week. And I guess if if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that they're all biggies, but I'm going to throw out a really big question this week. So this week's powerful question is this. How must you be to be the change you wish to see in the world? And how will you act on that for a better world? I mean, holy moly, that's a big one. And it would be great if you didn't just slough this off because the answer to this one can change your life. Now, if you'd like to know more about Kathy's work, you can check out the Catskill Animal Sanctuary website, which I'm going to post in the show notes on my website. I'll also include links to the homestead, which is the bed and breakfast guest house on the sanctuary property, as well as her books, and her really recent, very powerful Huffington Post article titled, No Lie Can Live Forever, Why America Will Be Vegan by 2050. This was a good one. <laughs> it was a really good one. Um, lastly, if you live in the Toronto area, Kathy will be attending some save vigils with the Toronto Pig Save Group between May 28th to 30th. 
And then she's going to be going down to do an author event at the Wishing Well Sanctuary, which I'm going to also link to on my website. And lastly, she's going to be speaking at the Niagara Vegetarian Festival on June 1st. And also, if you're in the New York State area or you're planning to visit New York State, I highly recommend planning a visit to stay at the sanctuary, meet the animals, and enjoy the natural beauty of the Catskill Mountain area because it's actually it's really gorgeous down there. So thank you so much for listening. Um, you know, and more importantly, thank you for caring. And if you're digging this podcast, I would be really honored and grateful if you would spread the word, rate it, review it, and get this message out there in a bigger way so that we can all blaze a well-worn trail towards this new world together. And then we can make it easy for the followers to join us in this movement towards love and compassion. And I'm going to end today's podcast with a beautiful quote by Mother Teresa that states, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only more love. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can just no longer make sense of it all. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world. (laughs) 